Soul Fam, welcome to another new Ceremony Circle episode, bringing new life, new clarity, and new inspiration to your 2023. For anyone new here, welcome. I'm your host and author of the best-selling book and deck, Animal Power, Allison Charles Story. And today's chat is with someone you most likely already love and follow on social media. But today we're going to see a deeper side of him. It is Diego Perez, a.k.a. Young Pueblo. Diego is a meditator and New York Times bestselling author, and online he has an audience of nearly 3 million people. His writing focuses on the power of self-healing, creating healthy relationships, and the wisdom that comes when we truly work on knowing ourselves. His first two books, Inward and Clarity and Connection, were both instant bestsellers, but it is Diego's third book, Lighter which we dive deep into today that was recently released and instantly went on to become a number one New York Times bestseller. I am so happy for him. And as you'll hear on this episode, Diego and I have spent some deep and meaningful time together. And he's someone I felt an instant ancient connection with. He and his wife actually personally held space and were witness to one of my most initiatory moments in life, So we have so much fun catching up and talking all about the wild story of how he even became a poet, how he became a writer, as he was not creative growing up. His evolutionary book journey and how and why this new third book is vastly different than all of his other writing styles, and if he had to overcome any resistance in doing that. What we both feel is the main key in doing our part in creating positive global transformation the deep wisdoms his near overdose taught him, and the two main themes, the two main words that kept coming to him as he lie on the floor thinking his life was all over. I asked him why he feels the general population of humans are so fearful of feeling their feelings, and what he personally did at the beginning of his own healing journey to learn how to healthily be present with all of his deep human feels, our ideas around perfection, and so much more. We close with Diego sharing some personally selected passages that he reads from his new book, Lighter. So here we grow. Join me round the fire for From Killing Pain to Feeling Things All the Way as a Gateway to Your True Purpose with Diego Perez, a.k.a. Young Pueblo. Okay, here we are. I really wanted to just like let the soul fam joining us today be present to our little mini reunion here it's been quite a few years my friend it has and i've been really looking forward to this day and yeah i mean i know this is this is fantastic but i also look forward to us getting together in person too i know i know i keep messaging you like austin anytime soon i know it's on the docket it's up next for sure okay good all right be sure to let me know so we can drop in and person. And I just want to start, you know, with congratulating you. I just watching your journey and witnessing, oh my goodness, like to have book number three culminate to being not just a New York Times bestseller, which your previous book, Clarity and Connection was that, but now your new book, Lighter, going to the very top. And I know that that is not the reason that people like you and I write our books, but nonetheless, that is huge. Congratulations. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. It, um, it feels like 
it still feels surreal. Like I can't even believe it. Like Sarah and I, Sarah's my manager, my wife, and we knew that the, that we were going to sell books. We knew that people were going to, you know, get their copies and whatnot, but we had no idea that we were going to be number one. We didn't even consider it as an option. So seeing that was like, oh, wow. You know, it was, it was a pretty big surprise. So did your literary agent or did Sarah, like who found out and who told you? It was like a race. It was between my editor and my literary agent. So the two of them, I think it was my editor who told me first, he called me with his boss and he was like, dude, we did it. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah. What, I mean, do you remember like, what was that burst of internal feeling that you had upon receiving that news? Oh, it was so funny because I was I was like in between meetings or I think I had like just finished meditating and then I had like 10 minutes before the next thing that I was going to do. And I had like the quickest like five minute conversation with him. And I was like, okay, I got to go. I was like, I have a, I have a podcast. The, the quick vision that just came in was like this, like eruption of energy and then ground it back down to like, get to the next task. <laughs> yeah. And it was funny because the next thing that I had, I was just like smiling the whole time and it wasn't really like public yet. So it just felt like, I don't know, in some ways I feel like I'm still processing it. And I'm also trying to just like let it be what it was and not expect it each time I release a book or anything like that. Cause I don't want to get just like stuck in this like trap of attachment where it's like, okay, this happened now. I don't know what will happen in the future. Like, obviously I do want good things for myself and my family, but it doesn't need to be the same way or the same vision over and over again. Totally. And I, I'm not necessarily trying to get to this portion of our conversation right now, but one thing I had on my list was like the idea of perfection. And it's something that I talk about a lot and you cover it in the new book, Lighter, and how, you know, the definition of perfection means completion. And so we as humans, that's never something that we should strive to, to be because unless we are transitioning back to the other realms and having a completed mm. earthly state, we're never going to be perfect, you know? And so you sharing about just being unattached and just letting each book be its own beautiful divine perfection of an expression without it needing to have some earthly label. I definitely can feel you on that. Yeah. I love the way you said that too. It made me immediately think that a river is never complete, right? Like how can you say like, Oh, this river is done. And I really think of like, our earthly essence as like, we're just flowing. Like it's literally a river. And when you fight the flow, it's going to hurt. Yeah. Yeah. And then I just got taken. I had a feeling our conversation would be this way, of course, uh, to our time together at that seed retreat, you know, and oh, what a wild time. <laughs> Holy crap. I mean, sometimes when I just get flashback <laughs> memories of like the group that we had there the container, the location, the fact that the retreat itself was called the seed retreat. And so all of mm. us, you know, coming together to plant our next powerful seeds. And then myself going through that incredibly <laughs> slobbering initiation moment, mm -hmm. you know, that involved you and your wife and a few other rest of the group that was there on that final morning. Like even just saying it right now, I feel a surge of emotion. So I just wanted to, you know, I mean, in person via uh, internet, I guess, thank you, you know, for just being a part of that moment for me. It was, it was a really powerful, oh, such a powerful moment. And I'm glad that, you know, in some ways, when I look back at that moment, it felt like, 
like we were kids. It's like, it was a, a while ago. It was almost like five years ago. So we're all, you know, we're like coming up, but we're still in transition into like, you know, all this maturity that we've gained these past few years. And I'm glad that we were all able to have enough emotional maturity to be able to hold space for you because it felt really powerful for your own, this like initiation that was erupting inside of you. And and I think that weekend that we spent together, for some reason, it's just like so distinct in my memory because like so many things happen in life. But for that particular moment, just felt like it just feels so clear when I look back on it. And, and it is a beautiful time. It's the same for me. And I recently was on somebody else's show and he's a doctor and, you know, used to be a therapist and he really wanted to take me back into like childhood memories. And I'm, I'm just someone for whatever reason, my brain, I don't retain much. I don't have many memories, but I have the same experience of that retreat. It is so vivid and clear. So, um, that's funny. Can we talk on that real quick? Cause I think like childhood, you know, and I wrote a little bit on this in lighter and I might expand on it more in the future, but childhood is obviously really important. Obviously it really molds our conditioning, our perception, but I've been thinking a lot about how our life after childhood has a massive impact, you know? So to be like, oh, my personality is this because of exactly the way it was during childhood. But how many breakups have we had that have like profoundly formed the way we interact with other people or when a parent passes away or when someone close to us, like there are so many moments where we feel things so intensely and we react to what we feel and that then it gets accumulated in the mind. It's like, you know, we shouldn't just limit ourselves to think, oh, childhood set up everything that I am. It's actually every moment of your life. It has an impact into who you are right now. Mm-hmm. Amen. For sure. Yeah. For anyone new to Ceremony Circle, if you don't know anything about me and my backstory, Diego just hit on something that holds true for my personal journey. It was through a breakup that was the catalyst for my divine intervention and spiritual awakening, or should I say the intervention and awakening were the catalyst for the breakup, but changed the entire course of, of my life and, and pivoted me onto the path of infinite evolution. So couldn't agree more. I'm so curious, how did you arrive to the title of lighter? Oh, it was, it was interesting because I think the, the title came at the end. It came like very, very much at the end where we had a bunch of titles that were like half good. Mm-hmm. And we were like, you know, we, we kind of just put it on hold. And then when it was, you know, when the book was written, when I had the whole, you know, 60,000 words together for the book, there, my editor, he was going through it and was trying, you know, he just gave title after title after title. And I was just like, no, 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 over and over again, to the point where I'm pretty sure I was annoying him because I was just like relentless being like, you know, we can't just like put whatever title on it. And he came back one day randomly with lighter. And I remember I was, I think I was out of, I wasn't home. I wasn't in West in Western Massachusetts. I was somewhere else. I think I read it in a, like in a cab and I was with Sarah and I was like, you know, Matthew is thinking the title lighter and I love it. And Sarah was like, oh yeah, that's it. Like, ah. you know, and it, it clicked because he started noticing that in my writing that I kept saying this, it was like, the point is like, we carry this mental heaviness, but there are tools, there are methods to make our minds lighter. And, you know, it sort of encapsulates the whole idea where, you know, I obviously totally believe in 
the potential of enlightenment, but I know that's very difficult. That's very hard work. It's a very long path, sometimes a multi, you know, multi-life journey. But what's really available to us, what's really possible is making our minds lighter. So mm-hmm. it, it clicked. And another curiosity that arose as I was reading through the book was I, I was wondering for you personally, how much or did you hit up against any resistance when the way this book wanted to be expressed and presented was kind of getting clear? Because to me, and I could be wrong, mm-hmm. the format of this book just feels different to totally, the yeah. way you express on social media and your previous two books. And so when this started to percolate up, <laughs> were you like, oh, no, and trying to push the bubbles back down a little? Yeah, I remember I like, you know, I committed to writing this book and, you know, time kept moving forward. And I <laughs> found myself, I think I wrote like the first like 10, 15,000 words. And then I was kind of like hovering around it. Like I just kind of like kept finding reasons to just not keep working on it. <laughs> and eventually my editor calls me. And he's like, hey, man, he's like, what's going on? Like, you know, you <laughs> talk to me. Yeah, we're running out of time. Like, And I realized that the difficulty was just including my own story. Like it (sighs) demanded so much of my personal life. And I realized that I just enjoyed being in the background, like quietly hiding behind the name Young Pueblo. It totally suited me. It was fine. You know, know, I love writing. I love supporting people. And I love the fact that people find my writing useful. but, But I don't personally, like I don't need the attention. Like I don't need, Diego doesn't need the attention or anything like that. But when... I had to kind of connect the two and show like, where did Young Pueblo come from? Why did I even have this like, I don't know, like intuitive click to just start writing and just show where all this stuff was coming from. I had to tell my own story and that just made it so difficult. And when I realized that I was having a problem with that in the writing process, it like burned away and I was just like, okay, I just got to do it. And then I just did the writing that I needed to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because um, the thing that was revealing to me a bit is that, it marked, it felt a little bit of a a pivot point from poet to teacher, you know, and not that you weren't teaching through your poetry, but I was just kind of seeing those two avenues and it's like, oh, you know, there was just a different way that it felt like you were taking some steps forward and sharing in a much more thorough capacity and deeper way how you have arrived maybe to some of your poetry. It's like it was more wisdom in a deep way and and teacher nuggets. Yeah, totally. And it's interesting, like I, I love sharing the reflections and just things that I'm understanding. And I feel like in my own mind, I see myself as a perpetual student and and I feel like that's good for me, you know, like that's, that's kind of like, I'm, I'm happy to, to be an explorer and to like, keep, you know, trying to just better understand the universe through observing the body yeah. and mind. But I knew that I had to just kind of just be honest, be like when it, when I came across a topic to just really tell you everything that I thought about the topic mm-hmm. and I share in a way where I'm not like, this is exactly how it is. It's more so like, 
may this like spur on deeper reflections for you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And this is, and this is my experience. And, and speaking of that, I have here in my notes, some things that I think I pulled from your book. Oh, this was from the book note. You wrote something like the wisdom that comes when we work on knowing ourselves. I truly believe personal transformation is intrinsically linked to global transformation. That was like in the little piece of paper that I got when the book arrived to me. And, and then you obviously go much deeper into that theme in the book. And this is something that, you know, oh my gosh, it, if, if someone said, you know, in all the years since you had your awakening, if, if you had to pick one thing that you've talked about the most, I would probably arrive to that. And I just, I just wanted whatever's arising within you as, as I'm bringing this up for you to just elaborate a little bit why you also feel that it's so important. I, I came across a TikTok. I, I haven't posted myself on there for a couple of years, but I still watch some videos. And there was a woman saying something like, you know, she seemed to have some sort of grievance that in the spiritual community, that it feels so selfish and that everyone's only talking about working on themselves, but what about the community? And it's like, I wanted to understand where she was coming from, but at the end of the day, to me, the greatest act of service we can do for the community and for the world is to take responsibility for ourselves and, and go inward and do our personal work. So yeah, whatever's coming up for you on all of this. Yeah, no, I love everywhere you're taking this. I feel like that's really, I think that's why I started writing. Like my background mm -hmm. before I started meditating was I was in the activist world. I was an organizer and I, um, you know, had been since the age of 15 till I was about like 25. And I saw how powerful groups of people were when they came together around a common cause. And I it's so enriching and empowering and it's completely valuable and important. What I felt was missing was that there was no like internal dynamic for liberation. And I wasn't exposed to that internal dynamic because I could externally see how we could try to, you know, change our society for the better and humanize the way we live. But I knew that all of that organizing work that I was doing, like it wasn't helping me deal with my anxiety. It wasn't mm. helping me deal with my sadness. It wasn't helping me just like, like let go of all this heaviness in my mind. So when I started meditating, it clicked and I was like, oh, of course, like, you know, cause as soon as you get there, like I meditate in the Goenka tradition and the point of this meditation, it's for to experience Nibbana. It's, it's meant to put you on the path of liberation so that mm -hmm. one day you may be able to experience that ultimate truth that helps you just totally unlock yourself from this wheel of suffering. And what I started noticing was like, so I love history and I love studying history. And historically, what I found is that there have often been groups of people who have tried to just change the world, to make it a better place, to be motivated by these powerful ideals like freedom and democracy and whatnot. But when, as they continue and as they gain power, and sometimes they gain a lot of power, a lot of these people are sort of ruined by that power. Yes. And like power itself, like I like to say, it functions like a magnet where it will pull out the roughest parts of your ego. Yes. So if you've never dealt with that stuff, what ends up happening is that you basically fall into a situation where you end up recreating the things that you were once fighting against. So this has happened over and over. Like the perfect example is this French person, Robespierre, who was a big part of the French Revolution and, you know, had all these wonderful ideals. And then when he got power, when him and his group got power, man, they massacred tens of thousands of people. 
like it was massacre mm. and it was horrifying. But what I'm saying is that we live in a historically unprecedented time where healing modalities are available in a way that's just sort of shocking. Like there are millions and millions of people who are actively meditating. There are millions and millions of people who are seeing therapists. There are millions of people who are using indigenous practices to help themselves. Like there's just so much out there. So what I think is like, we need to be able to use these tools to help ourselves to make sure that we can sort of increase our self-love to a level. And I'm talking like self-love, you know, it's real when you are less interested in harming other people, right? So self-love, it not only shows you how to treat yourself well, but it slightly opens the door to unconditional love for all beings. Mm -hmm. And as that self-love grows, you just become less and less interested in harming others. So if we're able to do that across the world, not only are we going to be less interested in harming others, we're going to make our minds lighter, which will allow our creativity to come forward. And that will help us look at these old problems in new ways and act on them. Mm -hmm. Yes, 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 yes. I have my rattle here and I'll just do a little, (laughs) a little rattle to that one. Yeah, it's funny when I reflect back before I had my awakening time, it's so clear, of course, in hindsight for me to have witnessed when I was in that previous relationship that was the catalyst for me to change my life. I was so fixated on everything that I was seeing him do quote unquote wrong and all the things that he needed to change and work on. And Mm. it wasn't until after the veil lifted and I got out of denial and illusion that I realized that was just one of the many ways that I was using to distract from working on myself and facing myself and feeling the things that I needed to feel. So that came up for me when you were sharing and I wish I had a rattle too, because I would, <laughs> that's like probably the, one of the biggest wisdoms that all of us can come across is like, yeah, some people might be doing some messed up stuff, but like, you got to point the finger to yourself and be like, what can I do to help the situation in my own mind? Yeah. Every time, every time. And so I feel like this segues us perfectly into this this pretty big container. So I'm happy for us to stay in this portal that I'm about to open for as long as we need. And I'm looking, I put in all capital letters and in bold and underlined. I mean, I really drove this one home for me (laughs) to make sure to not forget. I wrote that you used to take painkillers. And this is another thing that I get so lit up about talking about. I will do it relentlessly until I'm blue in the face. This epidemic of how so many of us fear ourselves and fear feeling our own feelings, fear feeling our own emotions. So I would love for you to share about, you know, how that lotus flower began to open up for you when you almost overdosed, you know, laying on your floor for Mm -hmm. hours, nearly dying and just kind of take us through that journey for you. Sure. Yeah. And it's interesting. I think it, it that definitely does stem back to sort of my early years, like transitioning from Ecuador. So I was born in Guayaquil, Ecuador, and my family came to the United States when I was about four years old. And when we came here, it was just like, it was incredibly hard. We're talking 1992. And those were tough years in the inner cities. And parents they so my mom she started working cleaning houses and my dad worked in a supermarket so we were like very much stuck in a poverty trap and 
And we were in that trap for, for years, basically until my brother and I and my sister became adults. During that time, what I saw often was that my parents, they were just constantly trying to figure out how to pay the rent like every month, like mm-hmm. constantly trying to figure out like, how are we going to get this, get this done? Same thing with like groceries or just anything that costs money. We, I saw how like society mm-hmm. and the conditions of society were like just sort of closing in on my family, almost as if like, it felt like as if we were in a submarine that was too deep in the ocean. Yeah. Right? And the pressure is like kind of caving everything in. Yeah. Let alone like if there's something unexpected, like a oh, birthday party gosh. that you really wanted to go to and you didn't want to go empty handed. I mean, it's just one yeah. silly example, but like that would feel, I would imagine crippling to them. Yeah. Yeah. No. And it's like any type of situation, like, you know, sometimes we'd have Christmases and we'd get these tiny little gifts or the next year we'd get nothing because it'd just be like, you know, there was nothing to be given. And I think a lot of that sort of like watching my parents go through this battle and seeing like their commitment to us and trying to keep our home afloat, it created a, you know, a mixture of like a lot of respect and gratitude towards them, but also a lot of like sadness and anxiety inside of being a big sort of scarcity mindset. And as I got older, I just had no tools to process this. So I became very comfortable with being an external person, sort of just like focusing on my friends and, you know, focusing on like whatever was happening in front of me, as opposed to what was happening inside of me. As I got older and I got to college, that just became worse and worse. And it sort of snowballed into all of these really unhealthy habits where I just started partying all the time, started drinking, started smoking all the time, doing a wide variety of drugs. You definitely look like a different person. And some of those pictures that I saw from you (laughs) in that time, I was like, Diego? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it's definitely a different, it almost feels like a different life. But it got so bad that I was a year after I graduated from university from college that I basically hit my rock bottom moment. I just did so many different drugs one one night and I found myself on the floor and I felt like my heart was going to explode. Mm. Like it just felt so erratic and I felt so weak and I was just sweating and nervous and like, you know, felt just like this intense tension in my body. And, you know, I talked to a doctor afterwards and she told me it did sound like I had a mild heart attack in that moment. As you're telling this story, (laughs) there's things like gusts of wind slamming the doors, throwing things off my window. (laughs) I was trying to not, but I don't know if you can see. Yeah, yeah, I see. Yeah, that fell off the door. It's like okay. I also, I also want to tell you that that was like the type of energy that was at that that retreat that we were at Mm. that weekend, because there was like a lot of funny things happening, like doors opening by themselves and. I mean, we could just go on and on, but, but yeah, back to the story. So that, that morning, you know, I was really just sort of like praying for my life, just like feeling like, I'm like, damn, I could die right now. I felt so in the midst of it all. So like in between. And you weren't in it. This was not, I mean, this was like for two plus hours. Yeah. It was a long time. That's an intense experience. Yeah. And in that moment, I think what a few things clicked. One was like, I just kept thinking about my parents and how much they did for me and how I didn't want to go out like this. I was like, I, you know, I don't want to just be this, like, so be so like self-serving and so like, Mm. just focus on myself by just like, you know, taking in all these drugs and, and not really giving back to my community. So 
it felt really important to me to just like switch my life around and start being finding a way to be of service again. What really clicked in that moment was that the reason that I had gotten there, that I had gotten so far away from myself was because I was lying to myself. Mm-hmm. You know, I was, just, I, I didn't like, it was exactly what you said. I didn't want to admit that I didn't feel good. The simple thing of being like, oh, I don't feel good. Something's not right inside. I didn't want to admit that. So the next day and the days onward, I knew that I had to fully commit myself to just telling myself the truth. Mm. Like if you don't feel good, be honest about not feeling good to yourself, like communicating between you and yourself, because that's what I was missing. Do you remember one of those first truths that finally for the first time you let yourself acknowledge like was it that you had addiction issues or what came up for you when you finally like let yourself oh, do yeah. that? The main thing that came up was like, you know, it was interesting because the really hard drugs, I was able to put them away. I was like, I'm done, you know, literally was like, I'm not going, not going back into anything that could take my life away. What I ended up finding was like, I, whenever I felt tension, whenever I felt some sort of anxiety or some sort of stress, what I wanted to do was immediately run away from that. And I think one of those first moments that I remember pretty vividly was being back in my room and being like, okay, here's that feeling. Like, here's that feeling where I want to roll up a joint. I want to do something to just like numb it all. And I was like, no, like I need to, I need to just feel it. And this was before I started meditating before, you know, like we're talking 2011. So wellness and all these things weren't as accessible as they are now or as widespread. And so I just challenged myself to just feel it instead of running away. And that that was really like the crux of the problem was like, I wasn't wasn't holding space for Mm -hmm. myself. Two things. Do you remember in one of those first examples, like, do you recall if you laid down and put, you know, just felt compelled to put one hand on your heart and one hand on your belly? And did you just like find a new breathing pattern or what, what were you going to, to feel it? Or were you just simply like, feel it, Diego, feel it, feel it. Um, and <laughs> two, other than the example, I'm so curious. Cause you know, I think I have been in such a feral, wide, wild woman, you know, goddess shamanic way feeling my feelings so intensely and deeply for so long that there's a gap in me understanding. And I want to understand more what, why, why were you and why are so many people so crippled in terms of feeling their feelings? Like what, why were you so scared of feeling things? Did you think you would die from it? I think the hardest part about it was that I had no process. I think that was probably like now when I have, you know, things come up, like I have a method, like, you know, I I know how to meditate. I know how to process my emotions or, you know, even like, like coming from a Latino background, like we, we didn't have money for therapists. And we also like, it just wasn't part of the culture, especially back then. So there was no one that I could like talk to who was trained, who could help me through this. And I think that was a difficult part was like, like once I did feel my feelings, I didn't know what to do with them. I didn't know. So, so what I, what I did do, right. I remember that first time was like, I just sat on my bed and, and I, and I just sit in the middle of my room. And I think it was like, maybe like one in the afternoon 
you know, so I, I'm just there and I'm just sitting and I'm like, okay, I'm like, let me just feel this ugliness that's inside me. And what was funny was that I would challenge myself to do it for like five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, you know, just like get slowly longer. And I think that actually built a lot of like clarity around the fact that like, oh, this sucks, but it's not that bad. Yeah. That, <laughs> and, I mean, I think- and it was an illusion. Yes, yes. And I'm so glad you said that because I think this is one of the biggest game changers that we as humans can arrive to is, yeah, once we lean in and let ourselves experience it, when you have that moment of fully feeling and you and I have you know, vivid memories on my last place that I lived in Brooklyn, where, you know, I was living there alone. It was very much a shamanic cave passageway time for me. And this one time I was just in sheer anguish, you know, slobber crying, laying on the floor. Yet there was this other aspect of me that was witness to the beauty and the rapture and the miracle and the liberation that was happening. So it's like, yeah, once you learn to trust yourself, you also become just as cognizant of the how beautiful it is yeah and trusting yeah. yourself totally and i think it's like that learning that trust and like starting to tap into my own power and also starting to understand the like the fleeting nature of emotions because that that was was the scary part was like i was addicted to always feeling good, always feeling pleasure. Mm. And, you know, so it was like the pleasure of talking to friends or the pleasure of being at a party or the pleasure of smoking or the pleasure of, you know, doing one drug or another. So when I, when I was like, okay, I was like, well, this is uncomfortable right now, but I'm all right. That just kind of like unlocked a whole new world where, you know, I, I kind of like, I remember just that first year after coming out of that, like everything just became a little more magical. Mm -hmm. Like it became like almost like I was accessing a whole new part of myself where before things were so rigid, but now I could play, right? Mm -hmm. Like now I could like actually like change the way my relationships functioned before. And it was really the start of my like self-awareness, you know, where I was totally oblivious to myself. And now I was like starting to pay attention to like start noticing the patterns that I was carrying, carrying and start noticing the way I was interacting with Sarah, who was my girlfriend at the time or with my mother and father and with my siblings. And it was like, wait, let me change what I do in these relationships and see if that helps deepen or, or make, you know, improve things in some manner. And it totally did, you know, because a lot of times you, a lot of times we think that we need everyone to be like on the healing path with us or on the same healing journey. But actually, I think one of the major catalysts that can change things is, is you changing your own actions. And that opens a door for other people. Like if you show them your vulnerability, it may bring out their vulnerability too. Yes, it's, I had this in my notes, but it's, it's exactly what you're saying. You know, this idea of how we as humans have and I, and I am not exempt from this, but creating narratives, creating stories, creating oh. storylines. I mean, it, once you get really self aware and consciously aware 
I mean, I guess I'll just speak for myself. I, I see right away how quickly my mind in an attempt or my ego in an attempt to understand something, it wants to assign meaning. And typically the way it tries to assign meaning is through creating a narrative. And just this week, I was like, okay. And, you know, you add to it the complexity that I am a very skilled seer. And so a lot of what I do see is accurate. But in this one example in this past week, with a person who's in my life a bit more in a periphery way. But nonetheless, I was realizing I was locked into this storyline with her that mm. she's doing something for this particular reason. I didn't really care for any of that, you know, but the more I just played and experimented with all of this, I thought, you know what, even if that narrative is true. Even if I am accurate in what I think I'm picking up on or seeing, let me try something different. Yes. I'm powerful and I'm an alchemist. And like, if that's her way, and even if that's true, maybe I can enter into this dynamic from a different way and a different approach. And so I did that. And right away, I noticed in our text exchanges, there was just a different air. There was a different energy in there. And so I'm very much exactly in what you were, what you were talking about. That's amazing. Narratives are so funny, right? <laughs> yeah, they're so, so funny. And I think when I think about these narratives, right, for some reason, they often appear as defensive. They're like, and I think it like ties into this like survival mode that like makes sense if we were hunter gatherers. But, you know, it's not just about getting from today to tomorrow. Like, yeah. you know, life is really different now. We live in, in civilization and if we're always living from a fear-based mentality, then it's going to be super hard to be happy to like, you know, live with compassion for yourself and other people. And I think, yeah, watching out for those narratives, like, especially within our circles or our most like intimate circles, like, cause they can cause a lot of unnecessary arguments. Mm -hmm. Another thing that I would love for you to elaborate on was, I think it was in a video clip that I watched when you were on the Today Show maybe, and you said that you were not creative at all before you started your meditation practice. Mm -hmm. I don't think I knew that. So I, I, mean, I was also curious, you mentioned it before, but I, we didn't get into a conversation, the type of meditation that you do. I would love to get into this area of things. Sure. Yeah. So I, so I meditate for possibly it's a, a Burmese style of meditation that originates from the Buddhist teaching. And it was taught by S.N. Goenka. He passed away in 2013, I believe. And he's a, a Burmese man of Indian descent. And he, you know, went to India and started teaching. You know, he was told by his teacher to keep to spread the Dhamma or what's, you know, often referred to as a Dharma. Dhamma's Pali. And when he started teaching in India, it just started spreading. It just started spreading like fire and people, you know, started meditating. And then after, I think after about like a 10 year period, they started opening up centers also outside of India. And when I, I did my first course in the summer of 2012, it was July of 2012. And I did that first one in Washington state. And it was like, brutally difficult. Like I thought it was so, so difficult. I was so far outside of my comfort zone. 
but I knew I wanted to be there because I knew it was time for me to grow. Like it was really time for me to just develop in ways that I saw my friend, he had developed, like he, he did a course about six, six or nine months before I did. And, you know, he was, he wrote to me all about like love, compassion, and goodwill. And I was Mm. so just like surprised by that. Cause this was someone that like, you know, I used to party so hard with, and I've never heard him talk about these things. And he, you know, I, I, when I saw what he went through, I was like, okay, I was like, I need some of that too, like whatever he got. So, you know, this style of meditating, it's when you, it's usually you're taught in silent 10 day courses. And when you go into the silent 10 day course, the first three days, you're taught this technique called Anapana, which is awareness of the natural breath. And over those three days, the mind really calms and concentrates. And after the mind is calm and concentrated, you switch over to Vipassana on the fourth day, the middle of the middle of the fourth day. And that's when they teach you how to observe reality within the framework of the body. Mm. And start observing that reality, literally like feeling your body, what the truth that becomes so prevalent is the truth of change. You you start feeling how, you know, there's so much change happening. And over time, that just helps unknot the mind and just starts purifying the mind at a really deep level, the deepest level, really, because that's where these knots get formed at the level of, you know, feeling your sensations. Like oftentimes we think that we're reacting to, you know, what we're thinking, but we're actually reacting to how we're feeling because like whatever Mm -hmm. arises on the mind simultaneously arises with sensations on the body. And we're reacting not to those thoughts, but to how the body feels. So like anger, anger has a feeling in the body. Fear has a feeling in the body. And those are the feelings that we don't like that we react to. So after I did that first 10 day course, I like, I knew that my mind felt lighter. I was like surprised. I was like, something happened here and whatever it was, it was good. I also don't understand it. So I went back and I signed up for another 10 day course in September of 2012. And I just, I just sort of kept going. But by the time I got to the third course, I noticed that like my creativity started bubbling up, you know, it it was just like, I could feel my intuition so clearly being like, you know, like spend time writing, Mm -hmm. like, write. you know, that, you know, that you're not totally wise or anything like that. You're far from it. You know, that you're not totally healed. You know, that you have a long way to go, but just start sharing the fact that healing is even possible because that's what surprised me was like, I, you know, I never knew that healing was possible. I, I, I grew up in a way where if you had some ailment that was mental or physical, you were going to have it for the rest of your life and you were just going to have to cope with it. So to me, seeing that my mind was actually like less anxious than before, like less fearful than before, less reactive than before. I was like, dang, I was like, something's happening. Like this is actually real. So that's when I took to, you know, took to Instagram and and just started sharing reflections and you know really crafting my voice as a writer but i really like i never saw it coming like i never did any mm-hmm. sort of you know like creative writing or I, I didn't write poetry when i was younger i was never inclined in that way and it wasn't until my mind got a little bit lighter when that creativity had enough space to come up to the surface so beautiful was there ever a time where maybe it was after you started to write some of the poems where you had a tendency to still want to hide them or even after you you maybe got the intuitive hit that you should share did it take you a while to share or was there not much resistance there 
It did. It took me a while because I, I, I felt my intuition telling me to start writing like in the middle of 2013, but I didn't start until the very beginning of like 2015. That's when I like really started intentionally was like, okay, let me put my time into this. And it took, it took a lot of time of me just sort of gathering the courage and being like, cause it felt like a crazy idea. It felt like, you know, this is like, does it ever work out for writers? You know, like it just, it just felt like this is like a wild, wild long shot. But I knew like that intuitively, it just like kept coming up. It kept huh. coming up. And, and I was, you know, I eventually had a conversation with my wife and I was like, look, like, can you give me time? Like, can you give me time? Because I need to just like, to just focus on, on writing and see if this actually becomes a real thing. And if, you know, <laughs> if I do end up doing it. <laughs> it's just so funny. It's just, I can't help but chuckle. It's just, I mean, it's just so rich. Like, cause especially for you, I think it, probably felt like more of a gamble than to others because you're not coming from a family with, with money and you already were yeah. had all the scarcity mindset and all the lineage stuff that yeah. you were needing to break free of and then you're going to attempt to become a writer you know it's it like felt like a wild long <laughs> it felt like the type of thing where like i don't even like baseball that much but it felt like the type of thing where it was like you got you kind of get like one chance to hit a home run you yes. know <laughs> yeah and you yeah and you haven't practiced much and you're like practice. coach puts you in and you're like oh yeah. do i hold the bat <laughs> like this you know but it was funny because like you know and it was a type of thing where like i knew that it was worth my time to do it to, to to really try to write but everybody thought i was crazy like everybody thought you know they were just like okay like you know do your thing and what i told my wife sarah i was like sarah i was like look like if this doesn't work out, I'm going to be a high school history teacher mm. and I can get, you know, whatever sort of thing that I need to do that. And that's, I can see myself doing that for many years, but I want to try this first. And, and it was tough, you know, like, I think I spent like two years where I just made no money. Like mm. I just, I didn't, I didn't, you know, bring anything. And it wasn't like, you know, Sarah also comes from like really humble origins. Like her family didn't have money. And we, the two of us were living under her salary that she got, you know, working as a scientist. And it was always like barely enough. You know, we were just like living paycheck, paycheck to paycheck for like two years. But when it did start working, it was just like, we couldn't even believe it. Like, and still, still to this day, you know, now <laughs> with the number one and all that stuff, it just feels absurd thinking back thinking back to that moment when we were in our tiny little kitchen apartment in Crown Heights, you know, we were in the kitchen in this apartment and I'm like trying to explain to Sarah, like what my plan is. And she's like, looking at me like, that's crazy. <laughs> yeah. Well, what's interesting is I also lived in Crown Heights when I had oh, my, huh? yes, it was in my brownstone in Crown Heights that I had my divine intervention and awakening and everything wow. changed for me too. That's so interesting. That place is really special. Crown Heights, like I have a big love for it. And I mean, I remember I, I used to spend so much time at Prospect Park. Like I would yes, ride my bike too. to Prospect Park. Yeah. That was my, that was my saving grace. Like when I was first feeling and facing myself, yeah. I would walk to Prospect Park like every day. Like, I, it's like, I didn't know much else to do other than to go there and try to be around as much nature as possible. I literally did the same thing. I, I lived in Crown Heights for three years and 
at least like maybe like four times a week minimum, often more, I would ride my bike to the park. And like a lot of my first book inward, like many of those pieces came to me while I was in that park. Wow, that's so cool. And I think we're on the similar timeline as well. I was I was also in Crown Heights, I think for about three years, and I would guess it was probably about the same exact three year time period. That's, wow, that's, that's interesting wow. that we did. Yeah, never, I mean, maybe weird. we did cross paths and cross probably at, the, at the park at the same time. <laughs> yeah, that's so wild. Okay, so I know we're getting to the tail end here. And we're, we're gonna have you share something from lighter for the closing practice. But I feel like I just want to have you touch on one last quick sure. thing. I'll let you pick. So I have three options. Emotional maturity is having a flexible sense of identity. You elaborating on that, that's option one. Or the next option, the two go together, storms and agitation. Which do you pick? Mm, that's a good one. I think the identity one, I feel like that one has been just like really just coming up for myself. And I think for a lot of people, because there was one thing that I wrote too about in, um, my previous book, Clarity and Connection, where there was this piece that I was like, I really, you know, I really felt that it was true, but I didn't want to come off as offensive in any way. But I, what I was trying to write was like, you know, it's really difficult to overcome old hurt and trauma when that becomes part of your identity. When mm -hmm. like you see yourself yes. as like, you know, I'm, I'm this thing and this is how I, I'm going to be. And, you know, I just kind of build my life around this one you know, heavy part of myself that's very real, but it becomes like static. And what I've been noticing is that when we want to heal ourselves and really empower ourselves, a lot of that means that we have to kind of learn how to move with the universe. Like we have to learn how to just allow ourselves to flow in a direction where like, even what you were, you were saying earlier, you said like, you know, like infinitely embrace your growth or something along those lines. And being able to embrace your own evolution, that means that you're going to allow yourself to embrace change, not only externally, but mm -hmm. internally, mm -hmm. so that your sense of identity, your interests, your likes, your dislikes, your habits, all of that, uh, you know, takes on a dynamic characteristic as opposed yes. to a static one where you can just allow yourself to change. Like I remember when I was growing up, there were a number of people who took a lot of pride in saying, I never change. Like mm -hmm. I'm always going to be the same. And I remember hearing that. And now, you know, after spending, you know, more than a decade meditating, it's like, that's a really hard way to live and to live in a way where you're trying to fight change when change is the most pervasive thing that we have. Yeah, you're literally fighting against everything. You're fighting right. against the unseen realms and unseen right. worlds. You're fighting against the earthly realm. You're fighting against yourself and your human nature. Exhausting. So Exhausting, totally. And then what I've learned too is that, so I go away to this re these retreats, these Vipassana retreats, you know, I'll do one, well, I'll do one long one per year and then a few shorter ones. And for the longer ones, especially like my wife and I, we just sat a 45 day meditation course at the beginning of this year from January to February. And I remember like right before we went to the course, we were both like, you know, okay, well, it's been great. You know, like we, like, it's been really good knowing this version of you oh. and I'm excited to meet the next version of you. And, and it was mad. It was mad interesting because we did come out. We both came out. We're really different. Like we, <laughs> and 
And obviously like our love and our connection for each other, it's there. It's so strong. This is like, we love living life in this manner where we are engaging with it as the two of us, but the two of us keep morphing and changing. And it's, it's funny seeing how like, you know, I've been observing myself and observing her this whole year, but like, you know, we're both so much lighter than before. Like we, we used to have so many moments of tension and, you know, we still have conflict from time to time, but, but a lot of the traits that we had that caused so much friction, they are just like, they're not there as much as they used to be. And on top of that, like our interests are totally changing. So whenever mm -hmm. we go away to these long courses, it's like, almost like we're speeding up, you know, our transformation. Yeah. So when we come out, it's like, you know, we just have to let ourselves flow and see what we're into now. That's so cool. Yeah. Shout out to Sarah. Please give her a hug and say hi. And yeah, I'm so glad that we got to do that retreat together. And I remember you too, you know, like once or twice a day, I think it was twice a day being like, okay, we're heading into the room, you know, to, to do our meditation. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I just think that that's so brave. And I love that you know, you brought her into the conversation a couple of times and that you shared that specific example. It's, it takes real trust and courage and bravery, you know, it, basically the opposite of attachment and codependency. When you both agree to walk on a path, like the one that you are together and to enter into those really potent initiations and, and practices together, knowing something big is going to happen and neither of you know what, but you're both willing, you know, to do it over and over again. It's so beautiful. Yeah. I mean, we feel incredibly, incredibly fortunate to have each other, especially like on such a serious path. And it's nice to be able to have like a healing comrade, you know, because yeah. they, they know like, and I, and I don't use the term like friend, I use the term comrade because mm -hmm. like you're going into battle together, you yeah. know, because healing work is serious stuff. Yeah, Luke and I feel the same. And it was so, I'll just show this last little thing, then we'll do the closing practice. But yeah, it was so nice. Years ago when I was in Bali, I had this incredible Vedic teacher. He he traveled around with Maharishi for a number of years and he was willing, you know, to, to gift me my mantra and to do all that. And it was so beautiful. And I love Steve, shout out to Steve right now. But for some reason at that time in my life, that particular style just didn't hold for me. And yet recently, just in this past month, a colleague and friend and, and mentor of my husband, Luke, he was coming into town. He hadn't been in Austin for about 20 or plus years. And he, I didn't know, but he's also a teacher of the same style. And I just thought I was going to a house to meet this man yeah, and say hi. Yeah. Little, I, next <laughs> thing I know, I'm signing up to do another you know, course and initiation with him, I got given a new mantra and it's just been so beautiful to step back in. It, I feel, it feels like a totally different practice coming into it at this time in my life. And Luke and I, every morning, you know, sit together and, and do our silent mantras and each morning together. And it's, it's really beautiful. So I'm so glad. I, I also, I wanted to say too, like, so I met Luke I think like, like a year and a half or two years before I met you. Oh, really? And yeah. Yeah. Like I met Luke a long time ago. Obviously everyone meets through Saudi Simone. Um, oh, okay. So <laughs> okay. <laughs> he's like the connector. But, um, when the two of you got together, I was like, oh, this is perfect. And I was like, this is perfect. I, I, you know, I really, I just felt so much joy and I'm just so happy for the two of you. Cause it's like your energies just like match and balance each other so well and having and especially having known each, you know, each of you separately, 
and thinking of you being together, it's like, ah, oh, like so beautiful. And I'm so excited to hang, get to hang out with you both. Uh, likewise. Yeah, we both love and adore you so much. And thank you for that reflection. You, you pretty much nailed it. Yeah, we are a very, very healthy, funny pair together. So, all right, well, let's go ahead and do the closing practice. And then once we come out of that, you can remind, I'm sure, I'm guessing the vast majority of the soul fame who listens to this podcast probably already follows you. But after you do the, the little ritual, then we, you can let folks know how to find you. Great, thank you. So I'm going to read a few pieces from my new book, Lighter. Yeah. Take the path that lights you up. The one you know deep down is the right choice. Stop listening to doubt. Start connecting with courage. Do not let the idea of normal get in the way. It may not be the easy path, but no great things take effort. Lean into your determination. Lean into your mission. Lean into the real you. You want to know what's funny is I literally took that exact passage and I have it here in my notes, but I just didn't, I just skipped over it. So thanks for bringing it in. Yeah, of course, of course. Mm -hmm. People who have experienced deep suffering and are still gentle with others do not get enough credit. To not let the hard things that happen to you win is heroic work. To drop the bitterness and still live with an open heart, despite it all, is a massive gift to the world. That takes me to um, both of us being in Crown Heights. And well, it takes me to my heart opening there and also just the theme of the heart with that last passage. Mm -hmm. And I didn't say it, and we don't have to go down a rabbit hole, but when you were sharing about your near overdose and how the doctor later reflected that they think you were having a mild heart attack, it's just interesting that <clears throat> the cracking open for both of us, you know, came through, yeah. through the heart. <clears throat> yeah. Wow. So thank you. Yeah, of course. Thank you too. One more, this one okay. about relationships. We allow ourselves to love because it's worth the risk. Even though there is the chance of loss or hurt, we take the leap again and again because love is one of the best parts of being alive. We don't do it because it's easy. We do it because connection makes everything brighter. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Soul Fam, for joining us. You, that ending phrase was connection makes everything brighter. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's a good, great note to end on. And yeah, if you could please let everyone know how to find you. And I noticed on your Instagram bio that I didn't notice it there before, but something about wisdom ventures. And I don't know what you can yes. share, but I was like, I wanted to know what that was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. So a few things. So you can find me on Instagram, Y-U-N-G underscore P-U-E-B-L-O. You can also find me on Twitter, on Facebook, just a young Pueblo without the underscore. And you can also follow my Substack, youngpueblo.substack.com, which is like one of my favorite new places lately where I'm just sharing new longer writing on there. 
And Wisdom Ventures is a new venture capital company that I co-founded with Jack Cornfield and a few other friends from Silicon Valley, where basically our mission is that we're trying to scale compassion and well-being. So we're trying to basically invest in companies that are designing their products in a compassionate manner. So wow. we're doing new social media companies, new wellness companies, companies that that we need that are like literally intentionally trying to make sure that their platform or their product is supporting the well-being of the people that are using it. That is so genius. Yeah, I'm really glad to be a part of it, but it felt like so necessary because the last sort of decade of the, you know, what the internet produced has been great, but it's also had such negative effects. And so we're trying to just support the companies that are still going to, you know, give us the products that we need, the fun that we need, but in a much healthier container. Mm, so beautiful. And of course, as you could tell by now, you can pick up his newest book, Lighter, anywhere and everywhere books are sold. Number one, New York Times bestseller. I'm just thrilled for you and I love you. And thank you so much for taking the time to join me and my community here on Ceremony Circle. Oh, love you too, my friend. So grateful to spend this time with you. It's like so nourishing and enriching and just like, I don't know, I just, I was really looking forward to this moment, but I look forward to when we get to hang out in person too. Me too. All right, thank you for sitting with this soul fam and we will sit together again next time. Woo-wee, what a powerful voyage that was. It is always so fun and such an honor to share space with these beautiful beings willing to generously share their time, wisdom, and energy so we can have the opportunity to enrich our own lives. And we will always share each epic guest's links and contact info in the show notes that are on my website, alisoncharles.com, and also in my weekly Ceremony Circle podcast Instagram posts at I am Allison Charles. So it makes it easy for you to connect more deeply with them. And fam, you know by now all the heart I put into creating this show. And I would love to be able to continue providing this free content for a long, long time to come. And what would be most supportive in me being able to do that is if you have ever felt you've gained anything positive at all from listening to a Ceremony Circle podcast episode, if it's brightened your day, if it's given you clarity or insights you've been waiting for, if you felt a healing shift during one of the closing ceremony practices, anything at all, if you can just stay on whatever platform you're now listening to this show and simply go to the rating and review section and share even one reason why you're grateful for Ceremony Circle Podcast. Sacred reciprocity is a big deal and I deeply appreciate you giving back to me so I can keep creating and providing. Sending you so much love. This podcast is for information and entertainment purposes only, and my intention is not to provide medical advice or diagnosis. You should always consult a health professional before making drastic changes to your diet or lifestyle.